Hello, this is Sophia. And I'm Victoria. And you're listening to It's All History to Me, Auburn's History Radio Hour at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. Each week, we will interview a history professional with the theme of uncovering untold stories. Let's get started. I am in a conventional dither with a conventional star in my eye. And you will know there's a lump in my Good morning and welcome back to It's All History to Me. This morning, we are joined by Mr. John Beaver, a Muscogee Nation citizen and curator for the nation's Cultural Center and Archives Department, where he manages the Creek Council House Museum in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Mr. Beaver received his bachelor's degree in anthropology, archaeology, and allied health from Oklahoma, and his master's degree in anthropology, archaeology, and museum studies from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He has also previously served as a member of the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Review Committee. He recently delivered a talk on Muskogee history in our very own Ralph Brown Dragorn Library and is visiting Auburn this week through the generous sponsorship of the Caroline Marshall Dragorn Center for the Arts and Humanities at Pebble Hill. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Mr. Beaver. Well, thank you for having me here. Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. Yeah. It's great to have you. And in addition, we are also joined this morning by Dr. Mark Wilson from Pebble Hill, where he serves as the director of the Caroline Marshall Drawton Center for Arts and Humanities. Our astute listeners might remember our conversation with Dr. Wilson about the history of Pebble Hill in Auburn last season for episode 2.4. So thank you so much for joining us for another conversation, Dr. Wilson. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Of course. All right, so to get the conversation started this morning, we'd like to start off with a little discussion about the education and background that you had that led you here, Mr. Beaver. Sure. All right, so first, how does anthropology cross over with history and your experiences with that? In my experience, uh, some might have a different experience than I've had, but Mm -hmm. uh, I feel, at least in my work, that history is hard to separate it from the study of of anthropology. Yeah. Uh, Sort of the traditional impression when you, when you think about anthropologists, the, the studying of people, uh, the anthropology student or the anthropologist will go out into the field, right. lots of observation, mm-hmm. perhaps write a book, a report, something right. like that. Uh, but for me and uh, my work, uh, I certainly work, uh, I'm a, a tribal employee and I right. work directly with my tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, for us, I mean, history is a large part of, I mean, it's hard to separate our, our culture from the, from our history. Right, I mean, right. we're from this, my tribe, we're from this area in, in Alabama mm-hmm. prior to our forced removal to Indian Territory, which is now uh, Oklahoma. Right. Uh, and so history for me, even not just the history that ha- occurred here in Alabama prior to our removal to Indian Territory, there's a lar- there's a very important part of history uh, after our arrival to Indian Territory that plays a very important part in how we live and navigate the world today. Right. And so th- that history, I mean, for anthropology, you know, the anthropology is a study of people, but mm-hmm. there is, at least for, in my experience, uh, hard to sort of separate the, the right. two. It's, it's very, very important. And in my work, you mentioned my work in, uh, in repatriation. Yeah. So when you're working in repatriation, mm-hmm. um, it's not just you're analyzing, if perhaps you're researching a, a claim or on my time on the review committee, uh, the sort of the... Uh, the, the functioning of how repatriation operates, but right. if you're how it functions, but if you're uh, perhaps uh, discussing or considering something doing doing with or things thinking about a, a tribal nation, hard to separate out that history. It's important to know the history that not only brought the act or the, the repatriation act into being, but also when you're working with those or considering those native cultures and how right. history has impacted them. So for me, in my experience, uh, the two uh, really go hand in hand, and yeah. it's for me anyway, about a 50-50 uh, sort of, I want to say, partnership or how they right. exist, at least for me, in my, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And partnership, I feel like it's a really good word for that. Yeah. Similarly, what got you interested in archaeology? Um, I make jokes about it all the time, <laughs> um, but uh, particularly about Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was probably about six or probably about seven years old when, when the movies, when those movies came out. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's certainly, it's fiction and fantasy and things like that. But what seven-year-old is going to know what archaeology <laughs> is going to know what archaeology is? Right. And so I think we all have, uh, most people have these certain sort of, I think, 
touch points or, or points in our lives yeah. where before you experience something, you're exposed to something and then and after. Like, mm-hmm. again, I make, I make jokes about it, uh, but that, you know, there's something, there was something about that that stuck with me. I made, have made jokes about it before that there are people in my profession who would, would put down the Indiana, the Indiana Jones right. and the Raiders of the, Lark, Raiders of the Lost Ark films and things like that. But I think they need to admit that, too, that that probably <laughs> brought uh, archaeology and anthropology into the, at least for a time, anyway, the public's awareness. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, while it's fantasy, and so, yes, I, I admit that. And then, and for the longest time, I'd, I mean, I sort of, that there was that, the interest is sort of a waning and waxing of, mm-hmm. of that. Um, but by the time I got into college and you, it, you it had uh, in the sort of my uh, experience, I mean, I was in for the longest time, I was in like people will call it the hard science, mm, the, yeah. the, the health field. Right. And I had, a, had like most people are, uh, will, will do, and for, for the students out there who, who may or may not be, who, who, who might be listening, uh, uh, it's okay to have a reset. You can, yeah. you can, uh, uh, you can find things that are, are important to you. And so I had a somewhat of a reset. Uh, I didn't forget the, the I have as a as probably as I say not just as a as a native person. Mm-hmm. I cert- have always had that interest in my own culture and, and right. history, but then at the same time I had this history in science and math and, yeah. and, and history again and things like that. And so how could I, how could I sort of how could all those things come together? Right. Uh, and so I I. Uh, Fell back into the, or I, I must say, I fell back into. I went into the into the field of anthropology, mm-hmm. and then a like, force under anthropology uh, is the study of archaeology. So I studied that for uh, a time, yeah. um, and of course, that's the study of the material culture of right. of, of, uh, of peoples, uh, and then found my way from that into working in museums and in repatriation. Yeah, yeah. So it was just a one path led to another, sort of, instead of one like set direction that you stuck with the whole time. In, in hindsight, it seems like a natural progression. Right, you know? yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, yeah, and that's good advice too, especially being in a point now where in college, trying to figure out where to start, but knowing that there's many different ways to end up doing what you're meant to do or what will have the most joy for you. And I make, and I make the joke sometimes, too, people will, will ask me about, you know, where I am or my profession, or even when I said your student's trying to figure out things, and I'll say, there are some days where I'm still trying to figure out what, you know, oh, yeah. what, what, what yeah. I'm Yeah, oh, that's good advice. <laughs> Okay, so you talked a little bit about this, but what led you specifically to preserving Muskogee history? Um, I mean, I guess one, the my my own interest, in, my own interest in my own culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I don't know if that sounds kind of self-explanatory, yeah. but um, I, I I don't know. I, I go back and forth in uh, with what preserving or, or preservation means, mm-hmm. um, and. To me, in, in the day to day, it's just I'm, I'm, we're as Native people, or we're thinking about what, what I do today. We're 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 living it. Right. So, but there are certain aspects of it, as you as you point out, the, the preservation part of it, that were I won't say consequences of of history. Again, mm-hmm. one, I mean, hard to I can't deny where, where we are here in, in, in Alabama. I mean, right. This is where I mean, this is the homeland of my of, mm-hmm. my, of my people, mm-hmm. and when we were forced to, to to move to, or I say forced to leave here and, right. and, and move to Indian territory. And then post our, uh, certainly our removal there, and I mm-hmm. think things certainly happened, were happening not just to us, but uh, other uh, Native peoples and Indigenous peoples here on this eastern side of the United States. Right. But there were processes in place that were really designed and meant to divorce us from mm-hmm. our, our, our culture mm-hmm. and, our, and our history. Uh, it was put under the, called assimilation. Right. And a part of that assimilation process was to eventually, if not forced us to be a part of the, the greater sort of American culture society. Mm-hmm. But things that were involved in that were really the, uh, the sort of the ultimate destruction of our culture. I mean, that right. was the, those were the main goals, to be, right. to be truthfully honest about that, uh, and to separate us from our traditional practices uh, and uh, our language being a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you uh, – and language is a very important part of, of culture. I mean, it right. – uh, uh, if you speak a, another language other than your other than your own, um, or even think about your your own, if mm-hmm. we're thinking about English in, in that context, right. think about that how that shapes your world, that shapes yeah. your worldview, how you comprehend things, mm-hmm. how you how you you piece things together uh, uh, in your own in your own mindsets. Mm-hmm. And so, when you take away uh, someone's language and culture, and there was a very concerted effort to to do that, right. if not by design. Uh, ultimately, when, when they were sort of thinking about that, but it does have very 
like broad sweeping implications on mm. um, if you take someone's language away as a part of their 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 culture, then right. you're you're taking away an important part of their worldview in terms of yeah. say how we might conduct traditional ceremonies if mm. those had been conducted in our own language, but also how you talk to your family, right. and, and and that's that's one part of it. And mm-hmm. we were also subject to um, uh, what uh, they called the sort of a not only as as we become sort of citizens of the United States via sort of tribal citizenship enrollment. Mm-hmm. But also the allotment process, which is really supposed to force upon us this one, this idea where we're not having sort of our land held in common, use what you need sort of type of thing. And we're forced to be homesteaders. Um, And that has some implications, too, because it it broke apart. It was another way in which it broke apart our culture. You're tied to community. If you've been living in a close knit community and now suddenly you're exploded out onto these uh, and so I know I'm talking about the, I guess the preservation part, but it's all yeah. these things that really got me interested in. If that, I don't know how that, in some ways we talk about culture, but it's also how we live and exist in the world yeah. today. And so, in spite of all of, the, in spite of all of that, mm-hmm. I mean, we we are, you know, we're a, a thriving people today. And so, how preservation we can see, you're, we're preserving that, and certainly we want to. I mean, we have people who work at our uh, in our tribal offices, and we we do have departments that are called cultural preservation, yeah. and they're I mean they're they're really focused on, and um, they do great work, and they're mm-hmm. very focused on sort of the archaeology side of things. So right. we do have native archaeologists, indigenous archaeologists mm-hmm. who, who do work in our departments, and so we do take that very seriously in the preservation of our of our history and our in our culture, and, and certainly we want our we have the our goal is we want our own tribal citizens to know about that. We want to get that out there and let them to know that. Right. But also, as you expand out from the, the core to the, the broader circles, yeah. it's also letting the, the broader communities know our non our non native or our non indigenous friends and partners. We want them to to have you know understand that part of our culture right. and how and how hist- and how not just his- the history is important, but how our culture is important to us. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. How did you get involved with the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Review Committee? Um, I had done uh, for a, a long time before going back to work for my, my tribe. Um, I started out in the sort of in, in repatriation research. Uh, I was during while I was a graduate student in Chicago. Um, I was at the uh, the Field Museum. There was an opportunity to start as an internship. And then it sort of really rapidly turned into uh, an experience where I'm starting to do uh, inventory research and, wow. then, and then research for some of the curators who were involved in sort of the repatriation claims that had come into the Field Museum. Mm-hmm. So that's where my sort of in- introduction into working in the in, on the repatriation side of right. things came. And then not too long after that, following a few internships within, within the Smithsonian system at the National Museum of the American Indian and the Natural History Museum in each of their repatriation uh, programs. Uh, I became, I, I was employed, I ultimately became employed at the National Museum of the American Indian in their oh. repatriation program and yeah. worked there for a number of years. So just to sort of sort of clarify uh, certain things. So while I was at the Field Museum, places like the Field Museum are subject to uh, the laws and regulations of the, the NAGPRA legislation. The Smithsonian is under a different set of laws. They're not required to, to meet some of the, or many of the requirements under NAGPRA. They're, they're required to meet the, re- the repatriation requirements under the National Museum of the American Indian Act. So when the National Museum of the American Indian Act was passed in 1989, which is actually one year prior to the NAGPRA legislation, oh, wow. it really set forth the, the regulations uh, and repatriation for just the Smithsonian. Uh, the, the other one, as I mentioned, was the NAGPRA legislation, and that was for uh, other institutions outside of the like universities and programs, uh, museums uh, that had received any types of federal funding. Hmm. And so when, when I say that, I would had experience working under both pieces of, of repatriation uh, wow, legislation yeah. and law. Uh, and then when I returned to working at, at, the, at the tribe, um, the, the appointment that I had on the, the review committee was a what was what they, they called it like a, a tribal appointee. Hmm. Uh, the the NAGPRA review committee is a is a, uh, a federal advisory committee, and the nom- and so they receive nominations every so often about every four years for some of those they're staggered uh, they staggered those those those, uh, those positions, uh, but I was nominated my my tribe to serve on that to serve on that uh, the the committee, and those those nominations are then reviewed and they're ultimately signed off on by the secretary of the of the interior, wow. and so then that's through a nomination by my by my tribe is how I came to to serve on the the, the, the NAGPRA review committee. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. So for our listeners that may not know, can you explain what the goal of NAGPRA and the repatriation, all of that, what the goal is? Sure. Uh, the goal of 
the NAGPRA legislation or repatriation sort of legislations in general is really to uh, support the return, ultimately support the return of cultural materials, and that does include the remains of of ancestors right. to, of, of these uh, of these tri- of these tribal and indigenous communities. That was one of the big goals of that. Uh, but what it all, what's also encompassed in that that was that was initially required and is really being a, a big push again uh, in the recent months because the regs have been have been sort of uh, modified and added to mm. uh, within the past uh, month, which was a sort of a, a few years process. Um, but the goal is to, like, as I was saying, to get the uh, uh, as it was sort of presented and. One could look at it as as a, as a type of human rights right, le- yeah. legislation, if you want if you want to look at it that way, because of the really the big. I mean, it's in the it's in the name, particularly NAGPRA, Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, mm-hmm. uh, and so and so that many museums and institutions have uh, a large number of the uh, remains of our of, of our ancestors that have, that are in museums uh, across the United States. The NAGPRA legislation wanted to address that when right. it was passed, certainly when it was initially passed in, in 1990. But what it did, the, a big moving part of that was it was going to require all of these museums, universities, and institutions who had received federal funding of some type. It didn't have to be federal funding to your archaeology program or things like that. Had your institution received any type of federal support at all? Mm-hmm. And what the, the first part of that was, you had to inventory your or your those types of collections, oh, wow, uh, yeah. a full inventory of that, and then you also had were required to those institutions were required to send those inventories out to the, the tribal nations, to hmm. send the communities, letting them know the nature of those collections, oh, or, or yeah. not just the nature of them, but what did you have? What is everything that you have from, say, particularly my tribe, my, my or my uh, uh, community, mm-hmm. and let them know what you have. When they received those, it was also supposed to open the lines of communication via formal consultation. Mm. Uh, tribes exist, particularly those who are under who would be uh, where NACRA would potentially apply to, uh, are generally uh, what we call the federally recognized tribes. Right. And so there's a certain standing there that you would even between the universities and institutions and museums that you're going to have a formal, a, a very formal relationship. Mm-hmm. So when you send those inventories out to the the tribes. Um, you're you're establishing a that a one-to-one relationship via mm-hmm. consultation, uh, and so you want to as you're moving forward in that the tribes can look at what the inventories look like. Mm-hmm. Does it contain human remains of the remains of the ancestors? Uh, does it contain funerary objects that might that were associated in those contexts right. and other types of cultural material that might have been used in ceremony? I mean, it, the, the the laws cover that, mm-hmm. uh, and it's for those and and in think in that thinking, it's for those tribes th- to determine that, not for the institutions and museums to determine what right. is important for those tribes. And so, it's to open those lines of com- communication with the ultimate goal of having uh, those cultural materials and the remains of the ancestors returned back to those. Uh, communities. Unfortunately, we're about 34 years into that, and uh, there is uh, progress has is not what uh, mm. it, it is not what the the tribes or tribal nations had been had been hoping for when the the law was initially passed. And I mentioned the new regulations that were uh, addition to the regulations to the law that had been had been uh, to the the, the NAGPRA law. And it's really to move, really move that along. And our, our role uh, that I sat on or that was a part of as, as a review committee was to monitor the progress of, oh, yeah. uh, of, of how NACPR had been progressing, what were, what were the perceived sort of roadblocks to it, what was, what was holding up progress. And so we, uh, uh, the, the goal of the, or the sort of the role of the review committee was to look at and see what, you know, what, what was that, do we have any advisements to that? Sometimes in the mix of that, even when you're, you're going throughout the repatriation process uh, with tribes and these institutions, there were certain roadblocks to that. And sometimes the review committee could be uh, called upon to facilitate maybe the, a, a conversation between, uh, say, the, a, a tribal nation and an institution or a museum, or even actually called upon to, uh, at the request of a, uh, most times at the request of a, of a tribal nation for what they call like a finding of fact. 
in oh. terms of cultural affiliation. Mm-hmm. So that's a part of that. Uh, and that so that, and that could be certainly a part of that process as well. But the ultimate goal really is of these repatriation le- legislations, as I said, is a, to me they exist as a, uh, and I think others will agree, as a, as a human uh, as a human rights legislation to say that just because you're, again, it, it just because if you want to look at it in, in terms of, uh, I almost said through the anthropological lens or the museum lens, is that we're, it's you're creating sort of this, the, the exotic other, but mm-hmm. at the same time you're, it can be diminish their, their us as people, right. uh, and so when we talk about say the, the remains of the ancestors and things like that, it's not always just we're talking about the the very deep past thousands and thousands of years ago that these that these uh, cultural items came from. It's the very you know the very present, and so if you say if your someone's human remains from there or the remains of the ancestors had been excavated as a part of a, you know, as a part of, say, a study or something like that. Uh, it could be very, uh, the, <coughs> excuse me, it could be very, in, in the very uh, uh, recent past that, the, that those sort of, uh, those things had occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I say 1800s, 1700s. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about, you know, the someone else's, uh, as you, we hold high regard to, say, uh, historic cemeteries, uh, it, there would, could be much uproar and, and outcry if, uh, a, the, a historic cemetery was right. was was excavated, and so that was happening to to native cultures. Mm-hmm. And so why weren't why weren't those thoughts, those feelings, uh, uh, as we exist or as we exist as native people, why weren't those things taken into account? But we get, we right. guess we we have very uh, 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 I say very distinct and strong feelings about that, just like everyone else would have if the if uh, their the remains of their uh, right. ancestors had been had been disturbed. Yeah, absolutely. What happens to objects from tribes that aren't federally federally recognized or don't have any like known descendants? Um, I mean, uh, there are uh, those. I mean, that's a discussion that uh, I think that the the uh, in some of the regs that that were um, uh, that were as a part of the new uh, the new regs that were trying to or were hoping to address that. And to be honest, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me to to, to really speak. You know, really speak to. Uh, to uh, to that, uh, and that's a, and that's a discussion that uh, that those perhaps those uh, those uh, tribal nations you say I think you said uh, non federally recognized or uh, yeah that just like aren't federally recognized or might not have any like descendants that like n- are known or maybe just don't exist anymore. Um, at on the, on the face of it, they could they they possibly could remain in the in the collections or in the collection of these places for uh, an indeterminate uh, amount of time. Uh, it's certainly on um, the, it could be um, not putting the, the responsibility on the, uh, certainly all of it on the, the institutions uh, that uh, possibly have those types of collections in their, uh, in, uh, in their, so I say, that are maintaining them in their collections, but uh, that certainly introduces itself to, uh, I mean, a further, you know, further uh, discussion. Uh, and in, in some instances, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that that federally recognized tribes will enter it. Certainly, enter in, enter into those discussions because it doesn't. If they're, if it's, you know, uh, perhaps it doesn't say that they don't belong uh, to them. Uh, but um, you know, again, that's a. I mean, that's a. I guess I would say like a really, I'm gonna say a difficult question, but a, a broader question. Um, but at the same, time, how are these cultures completely wiped out all? together uh, and that you know there are almost there are very rare instances in, in that where I mean there was where someone where someone was the last of their was the last of their their culture but that's a um, that is a that's a great question as you can see I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not quite struggling with it but uh, it is one of those that that the, the regulations hoped I think what was 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 hoping or trying to uh, address and at least moving that that conversation along and how to how, how those collections might those types of those types of collections might exist uh, and what they might do to, to add you know or what the context to those might might actually be and so that's an important part of I say uh, not just research but consultation with uh, uh, a, a broader sort of uh, 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 broader discussions with potentially dis- potentially descendant communities yeah and for our last question of this segment, our theme for this semester is bridging the past and the present. So how does your work, You, I feel like you've touched on this a lot, but just to put it in a uh, distinct question, how does your work help to bridge that gap? How's my work help to bridge that gap? So I, I think, uh, as you said, I think I probably answered uh, that in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I said, we're... Uh, 
my tribe, my nation, my culture. Uh, we're from this this area in Alabama and mm-hmm. in parts of, of Georgia as well. Right. Um, and so the work that we do, I mean, it is really d- distinct. Uh, I mean, we, we really want to, uh, uh, to, to, to answer your question. And so I said we were, we were removed to uh, Indian Territory, but we've never forgotten that direct line. So the work right. that we do uh, and the work we do it in, uh, in, in Oklahoma and our, our current homes today is like mm-hmm. we certainly like emphasize that. So just because we're not here anymore, right. we've not forgotten that. Yeah. And so the, this history that we're thinking about here mm-hmm. certainly informs it Self, in terms of the, so the work that I do as curator at the at the at the council house. I mean, during this certainly this pre-removal time period, uh, we had a national council. So if you if, you, if you're familiar with the, any of part of our history, uh, certainly leading up to the time uh, up to the point of removal, mm-hmm. uh, we organized ourselves. We did have a national council. We have a national council. We had a national council uh, that reformed itself uh, following the events of the Civil War that met at the location where I am, am curator at the council house. Mm-hmm. We have a national council. To Today, uh, that's a part of our, our legislative branch of our government, and I'm using that as a small example. But mm-hmm. this is how history is important. Right. So, the, so the things that happen to us, or I don't say I don't. I don't when I say happen, I'm not saying that we were, we were sort of passive participants in, in right. the history. But the things that occurred here certainly informed, certainly informed what we, uh, how we lived, and what we did. Certainly, post removal, mm-hmm. and the things that uh, that were um, that that we're sort of that we're navigating as we're living in the world today and you know I, i'm saying that about our culture but i think that's true of most people's right. uh, of, yeah. of most people's yeah. cultures uh, and, and backgrounds and that's how where the imp- i think the importance of history comes in is that things don't happen in a vacuum things don't you know things don't happen in this in a highly controlled vacuum mm-hmm. and certainly for us the things that while we we're, while we talk about like often talk about we're living in the present there are things that uh, certainly um, in terms of uh, in, in more recent years involving cases involving the Supreme Court that are when the Supreme Court was certainly deliberating uh, a current topic that we're that we're uh, that we're working with in, in certainly in, in Oklahoma today they looked they had questions and they asked questions about the history of things so this is how history is very important so when they're asking those questions not only is it um, it, it, I mean the questions and this is how our history here is important but also how it's connected to our post removal and also I mean there, to me there's a straight line from uh, not just when I'm talking about our time here in Alabama it's to me I mean I would take it back even further I mean it, it's a straight line from of how we existed we're related to that we're certainly one of the, the tribal nations that are related or that descend from the Mississippi mound builder mm-hmm. culture, the, those, these large mound sites that you see yeah. here in Georgia and Alabama. So for me, it's a pretty straight line right. from, from, those ty- from that part of our, our, our past to directly to the, directly to the present. Yeah. And so our work, we, we want to connect people to that, not just the members of our, our tribal nation, but everyone as well, so you, can have, so you can have an understanding of this. And certainly that mound builder part of our, yeah. the Mississippi mound builder part of our culture is a very deep part of it. And it's also to show that we had uh, uh, certainly we knew the idea. We had the concepts of of, of self governance and mm-hmm. sovereignty and how to govern oneself, and that has carried through from that time certainly in, in, into right. the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna take a two minute ad break, but we'll see you. In t- Hello, and welcome back to It's All History to Me. If you're just joining us, we're joined today by Mr. John Beaver, who currently serves as curator of the Muskogee Nation Cultural Center and Archives Department. What does your typical day look like as curator? Uh, a typical day. Uh, that's, in some ways, that's hard. Can be pretty hard to describe. Which is <laughs> which is which is actually a good thing. Uh, a typical day, like most people, uh, I start out checking and answering email. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, they can usually start that way. Uh, certainly work on uh, work on uh, research. Uh, for uh, new exhibits mm-hmm. or, or that, that we might be working on. Uh, and then uh, a lot of it is, uh, which I, I enjoy that I love, is actually uh, visiting with or uh, spending time with our visitors that come to the to yeah. come to the council house. And that's a broad range. When I say visitor, it's a broad range of visitors. It certainly we, we, it includes uh, uh, our own tribal members, but it also includes a large number of people who aren't, they don't have much knowledge about the right. uh, our, our tribe, and uh, people sometimes will ask me what 
you said you give tours of what what is a what is a tour like and I said they can be as long or as short as as you oh, want wow. them to be so yeah. people come in sometimes they have uh, a wide range of interests and a wide a wide range of questions uh, I will spend as much time with them as they w- w- would like to spend and ask me questions yeah. uh, the only thing that might interrupt that is if I have to go to a, a meeting uh, and I'll say, please don't, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I right. have, I've got, I have, have, to have to get to a, a meeting. You're welcome to stay and, and visit with the, the other staff uh, yeah. that's here. Uh, and that tends to be a part of it. That, that tends to be a part of a, a typical day, which I, like I said, I'd say curator is my title. Curator encompasses a lot, uh, to me, a lot of different uh, roles and responsibilities. Uh, I often say that uh, sort of in that part of that, uh, that role of, of curator is, uh, we're not just we're, we're storytellers, uh, but we're also educators and, and mm-hmm. teachers as well. And I take that very important. So you'll often hear the people will say that there's n- no there are no stupid questions, you know, <laughs> so I, and then people will uh, will ask uh, uh, and they'll ask some some, some questions. And it largely becomes because they don't know. Right. And and um, I'm gonna say a change I've seen uh, over the years is uh, some people will will ask. Uh, this may be uh, inappropriate, or this may be uh, I'm unsure. Is this a, is this going to be a, a dumb question? I go no, no, no. Go ahead and, and please, you know, please ask that. Yeah. In in, in previous years, and, and again, it's it's I'm gonna say it's any fault of their own. They would just go ahead and set it. You know, no, <laughs> uh-huh. the, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. the, uh, and uh, but no, I certainly I welcome we welcome all types of yeah. all types of questions and uh, and that. Those things like that fit in, could could fit into a, a, a you know a typical day. Like yeah. uh, there can be more research that I, that I'm working on than giving a tour or answering questions. But it's uh, uh, that that's often a typical day punctuated by answering emails and doing some administrative <laughs> uh, work throughout right. throughout the day at both the kind of bookending at the both the front end and the back end of the, the back end of the day. <laughs> that sounds like a good day. Good good gig. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. Yeah. Okay, so do you have a greatest challenge um, as being a curator? Uh, the greatest challenge, um, that's, uh, that's a really great question. And I'm trying to, uh, the greatest challenge, I guess, probably for me is that there are lots of great stories out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, not just trying to get them all out there told, working with, the, working with others to get those, uh, uh, those stories out there mm-hmm. so people can learn about them. A great challenge is that, and probably, as you know, with your program here, or those who uh, work to write stories, is that, uh, and also particularly in mu- the museum exhibits, is you have an, have an economy of space. Right. Uh, these are often can be really long, can be really long stories. Uh, but what can we do to sort of uh, what's the challenge? Oh, the challenge is really telling those stories in a really concise way that fits on a museum uh, panel. I've mm-hmm. seen others in the past who will fill those panels with with uh, more words than anything anything else some, right. some photographs and pictures but uh, at the same time that's really and I guess in my experience that's not the way to, mm. to do it you can there's a creative part to that and so I say that's part of a challenge that, that can be a challenge but it's also if you want if you how open you are to embracing sort of the creative process mm. um, I am very fortunate that I uh, uh, work with a we have a while we're a small staff, like most of these programs tend to be. Um, it's a really great staff to work with, and we're yeah. really supportive, and that is and that is really helpful, and that that's really helpful in sort of surmounting these challenges. Right. We can we can sort of bounce ideas off of each other, and, and it's a uh, so you can you can look at that as a challenge. And there are things: how do we get from point A to point B? Uh, but it's also a very creative process that, to which I enjoy yeah. the problem solving. I'm mean, say, not saying the problem solving part of it, but it's how are we going to get there and how are we going to tell us in a creative way that really gets the message out there, what we want people to know about the topics that we're presenting, whether it be in historical context or uh, questions that we certainly, uh, that are in the present that we want people uh, to know about. Right, yeah, yeah, the economy of space, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. How did the town of Okmulgee get its name? Uh, the town of Okmulgee, or the place of Okmulgee, gets its name. Uh, it actually gets its name from a place here in the in the southeast. Uh, following the events of the Civil War uh, in, in Indian Territory, 
Uh, we created a new tribal constitution in 1867 that really creates this, that was going to be this, this new type of government for us. We're going to have a three-branch uh, uh, tribal government consisting of much like the uh, federal government, uh, an executive branch, legislative branch, and a judicial branch. So when that became formalized, uh, we needed a new place. Where, where was this new government going to be located? Prior to the events of the Civil War, we had met, we weren't meeting, we were still meeting in, in a, a council type of structure, a council mm -hmm. made up of, of the leadership of our tribal towns who mm -hmm. had been uh, removed, uh, as they had been removed to Indian Territory. So with that, with the, the sort of the construction sort of the, of the, uh, this, uh, the writing of the new constitution, what happened was we needed a new place. That we wanted a new place where this tribal government was going to be located. The new place, this, the place following the, the writing of the Constitution, was the place where the current council house sits today. So when I'm describing that place, that was pretty much, there was nothing, there was nothing there. It was pretty much an open, it was, it was uh, prairie. Yeah. So they built the first council house there in about 1868. It was a two-story log cabin. That's where the new government was going to be housed or located, the new national capital, sort of the center of our political universe anyway. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a name for that yeah. uh, at, at the time. That place had not been really, like, we weren't calling it that place anything. For us, as a part of our oral history and tradition, uh, there's a place here in the southeast uh, located in uh, the, uh, the, the town, sort of the city limits of Macon, Georgia, mm. called the Oak Mulgee Mounds site. You might, might be familiar with that place. Mm. That place, that location, uh, for us in our oral history and traditions is one of the places, one of the primary places where we first sat down and recognized ourselves as the people or yeah. the Muscogee people, yeah. but the people. We, never for, we have never forgotten that the importance of that location, locations like that, that place was named Dolmogi. So fast forward in time, in history, so we're saying how history is important. Right. Uh, and so to about 1860, so around 1868, mm -hmm. we named the new location of our of our national capital going forward, if we're going to call that Oltmulgee. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, in honor and recognition of the first Oltmulgee oh. in our in that deeper part of our history and past, and that is the Oltmulgee, that the site of the uh, the Oltmulgee uh, mounds in that are currently located in, in Macon, Georgia today. So that's how Oltmulgee uh, gets its name. Often people will come, and they're sometimes they're familiar with what Oltmulgee means, which is like bubbling springs and boiling water. They'll come in mm -hmm. to the to the council house and say, "Where are the you know where are the bubbling springs and right. boiling water?" Because you're native, and obviously you had to you. And you name this place after some. Right. Well, where are they? We want to see those. Why, yeah. why did you name the place this? But really, the the the, the deeper part of the answer into, into your into your question is is that is how the, the present day Oatmulgee gets its name, and that Oatmulgee, the present day Oatmulgee, uh, where the where the not only the council house is located, but it's also where our current the, our current offices, our present day offices, located in our tribal complex, are located there today. And so we certainly let the visitor and let people know that. That area, that that Oatmulgee Indian Territory, mm -hmm. has been the the site of our national capital since 1868. Wow. Even though there were some breaks or attempts to the break in that that flow of how the government existed, but we we contend and maintain that uh, that uh, that uh, the new Oatmulgee in, in Oklahoma or in Indian Territory has been our national capital since 1868. That's a powerful story too to see that connection between the place and history as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you hope visitors will take away from the museum after visiting? We want them, one, we want them to know that we are, I mean, you'll often hear people say that we're, we're still here, but what we right. want them to know is we are a, a, a living, breathing, thriving culture. Mm -hmm. uh, want them to learn a lot about the history. Again, I don't want to uh, certainly we're not presenting this as that we were passive participants. In right. It. Uh, one of the things we also uh, want them to know is, it, is that uh, if I'm giving the tour, one of the things I'll often stress, they'll see uh, certainly images of our historic, the, 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 deep, the deeper past of us as people, uh, certainly the, the time period of the folks of the Council House, the 1878 to 1907 time period during the transition from Indian Territory to Oklahoma. But they also see uh, images of us uh, in the present, 
They're also talking to, you know, our, when we were visiting uh, with them, we're also seeing uh, present-day members of the tribe, myself and, and, and other staff uh, included. Mm-hmm. One of the things we also want them to know sort of in with that is, is that um, uh, when you see those images of us, they tend to, you know, if you're thinking about anthropological texts and, anthrop- you know, those, those, those writings mm-hmm. is that it can tend to lean toward the primitive or the exotic and, and, you know, and things like that. But we really want them to know is that we were a modern people, no matter which, at which point in time that you're seeing, yeah. seeing us. So when the, the first people are, are said the, the settlers are arriving here, mm-hmm. or when the, the anthropologists are writing about us in the, the 1800s, or late 1800s, yeah. early 1900s, we're modern people then, but it mm-hmm. tended to be, a, they're trying to write these things, be, they're writing these things because it's like we're a vanishing culture, mm. or a, a, you know, a, a vanishing peoples, right. uh, and uh, what do those authenticities look like? Are those are the, the authentic, those authentic images of, of the of the native person, the savage, you know, in some ways, the savage, if you, the primitive, if you will, are going to be vanishing as we're potentially being assimilated? But what I would, what, what I'm, I guess, what I'm saying is, we want people to know for the visitor. One of the things, important things, we want them to know is that we were modern. We were a modern people, in no matter which context that you you have encountered us or seeing us or seeing us in. Uh, and another sort of powerful, me- I think a message we want people to know is in terms of tribal sovereignty, uh, that, that often comes up or people will ask that or you often see uh, tribal nations talking about that, is, is that sovereignty was not something that was given to us. We've always been sovereign nations, mm-hmm. if you will, sovereign peoples. And sometimes people think that, so- that the idea or the this idea of, of sovereignty was something that was given to us, and it's not. And we want people to know that we can, ex- like I, I think I mentioned it before earlier in our conversation about those things extend back, how we organize ourselves, how we see ourselves extend back years and years and years before the arrival of the West here on mm. the on the North American continent. And we were sovereign then, and we're uh, we are a sovereign nation. We're we're uh, living and breathing people now. We're going to take an ad break, but we'll see you in two. Good morning and welcome back to It's All History to Me. As we mentioned at the top of the hour, we're joined by Mr. John Beaver, who is currently visiting Auburn University and Greater Auburn area through the Caroline Marshall Dragon Center for the Arts and Humanities at Pebble Hill. So this morning we're joined by Dr. Wilson as well. So we wanted to ask you, could you share with our listeners more about the process that you and your Pebble Hill colleagues worked through to bring uh, Mr. Beaver to Auburn? Sure, thanks. We appreciate you having us on the show today. So I first uh, met John through... Uh, one of his colleagues, Dr. Monty Randall, who is the president of the College of the Muscogee Nation mm. in Okmulgee. Uh, and as I was telling Dr. Randall, who actually will be here uh, speaking on March the 26th at Pebble Hill in the evening at 6 p.m., give mm-hmm. a plug for your, to your listeners to come here, uh, another speaker from the Muscogee Nation. When, he, when I was telling him about uh, the work that we do at Auburn through the center, uh, he said, oh, you need to meet John Beaver has, as you have learned this morning, a wealth of knowledge and the care of the Council House Museum. And so our staff uh, made a trip to Okmulgee this past May and had a chance to meet John, get a tour of the Council House Museum, meet some other wonderful artists from the community, uh, and really a chance to to understand better the history of the Muscogee Nation Mm. um, and all of their uh, historic connections, of course, uh, to areas here. Uh, but more than anything, to learn about what they're doing today as a nation there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that Pebble Hill is learning from Mr. Beaver's work that will be implemented here at Auburn? Sure. Uh, one of the things that we do is care for the historic Scott Yarborough House known as Pebble Hill. In the hallway, we have 13 uh, portraits of uh, Creek leaders, mm-hmm. uh, historic portraits. We have one oil painting that's quite important. And so... Uh, We care for that history and try to tell the story of uh, this part of the state, which was not a part of the state of Alabama when Alabama became a state in 1819. And so to understand our place in this section of the state, uh, we must understand this history, which is quite complicated, uh, but quite important to learn. And so uh, through our conversations with John, we've learned more about uh, the persons who are represented in this hallway. Um, and we have learned uh, really a lot about uh, the, the identity of the nation uh, and the, the opportunities that we have to connect with them on uh, programs and projects today. 
Uh, and so we've spent a lot of time this week. Uh, John's been here for several days. We've spent a lot of time this week with uh, in classes and in other conversations with uh, the Alabama Department of Archives and History, who's working on redoing some of their exhibits as a result of, of a lot of what we've been talking about mm -hmm. today. Uh, and so it's just great to have uh, a visitor from the nation to be among us. And he actually got to go to the Auburn-Alabama basketball game last <laughs> evening. And we're glad of the outcome of that and that he was <laughs> able to, to, to see what happens in Neville Arena. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's see, one more question for you, Dr. Wilson. What is, uh, or how does Mr. Beaver's work parallel the work that's being done at Pebble Hill? Well, he's a, a, a wonderful uh, curator of a historic space. And so anytime that we have a chance to learn from someone who has done uh, such good work, um, and also with his experience at, uh, at the Smithsonian, hmm. uh, so he brings a lot of wealth of experience to the table. And right. so anytime you, uh, you have someone whose work parallels yours in terms of the duty of care that you have for a historic space, uh, all the day-to-day -day activities, but then also making sure that the interpretation that we are giving um, is always deepening and is always broadening uh, and you do that with colleagues who are working on similar uh, time periods right yeah yeah mr. Beaver we have two more questions left for you this hour and the first one is why is it important that we study history Try to give a, another answer to that. Uh, I think I've—I feel like I've, I don't know if I've answered that <laughs> a couple of times uh, already. But I, I thank you for that that question. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's really important that we uh, uh, study history because I think uh, some people might tell you, well, you know, why study it? It's, it's happened. It's all it, it's, it's happened in the past. Why why is that important? Uh, but uh, I think as I've said earlier, for um, and I guess in the context of my own of my own experience and uh, at the tribe, I mean, uh, the history certainly rings. It, it, it's pretty prevalent uh, in our uh, whether it's at the if not if it's not at the, the top of things, it certainly uh, is is very present in our in our day to day. Um, but another thing for like why uh, uh, why why study history? Why is history important? Um, I think there are things that happen in in history, and I'm thinking that I'm and I'm taking it sort of out, outside of the, the, the broader or the the, the sort of the, the context of say tribal nation experience, but and I guess at a at a, at a, at a broader level, is is that uh, we can uh, we can certainly learn a lot of things from uh, history. There's certainly the statement out there that those who ignore history are doomed to or are, are doomed to repeat elements of it, and I certainly think that that rings true. Uh, that's how history is important, uh, and so whether it be uh, the deeper past or even the more recent past, where, where uh, people tend to think history is many, many years ago, but you know, think about uh, in more recent times, say things like the the uh, the, the COVID ep epidemic. What, I mean, that that's only been within the past what four years, and that's a uh, that's been a very sort of surreal time period. But I remember. Cert or I don't say I remember, but but uh, during the, the course of that, uh, is that uh, people were, were doing studies of how, how of how the nation. We certainly had. There's been some interesting research at, at, at I won't say at the local level, but uh, uh, projects involving how people had responded to that at the at, at the tribe. Mm. Uh, and I, I say that's a very recent history, but you know things like the how how you know what were your what were your feelings about that? What were your responses to that? And it's, I mean, it's that, I mean, that's the, that's the recent, that's the recent past, but going, I guess, going back to, I guess what I had was uh, one of my previous statements here just a few minutes ago was that history is very important. I think that we need to, not just from, I'd say from, uh, the, for tribal nations, uh, but for, for everyone mm -hmm. and everyone can learn something from, learn something from that. Uh, and uh, how it's gonna, how it is applicable to your 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 day-to-day -day life, and how you you know experience it. I mean, I've certainly seen things. I mean, I'm, uh, and I don't mean this as a harsh critique, but I mean it's you need to whatever profession or line of work that you're going into, you have a there's a history of that. Right. I came into anthropology, and even the history of history, the, the study of history, there are things that schools of thought in that schools of, 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 of thought of that change. But I've seen people who I mean who. I'm gonna say have a lack of knowledge of the history of their profession, and are saying these things, you know, saying certain things, and it's like, well, you're you obviously don't know the the history of your of your of your 
work, your line of study. And, and I'm not saying that would undermine your, 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 your credibility, but as someone who, who studies history and, and sometimes you're having, you know, say conversations, you hear people will, will be saying things and not just about their, their line of work, but we, we see it, I think sometimes we see it uh, on TV and in the news, people saying things that they're, they're unaware of the, right. of the history that had, had brought them to that point. Um, so that's, you know, I don't know if that's a long way of, of answering your question, but, but history is, to me, history is, is, is very important and has uh, implications, really, really big connections and implications in our, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, definitely. And for our last question of the hour, what advice do you have for current and future students of history and its adjacent fields like archaeology? Um, I guess, uh, one, just like I just said, be uh, if you're going into that, uh, uh, certainly learn the history and the knowledge of your, or, or be knowledgeable about the history of your, of your field. Mm. Um, but beyond that, the, the advice that I have been giving uh, students uh, is, is that uh, you have to be aware also of the opportunities that are presented to you and sometimes mm-hmm. you have to make those opportunities happen. They're not right. just going to present themselves. So if you're interested in history, if you want to work in museums and certainly if you're thinking about working in a university, but museums, I'll use museums as an example. Mm-hmm. I mean, the and I often tell students, those worlds are really small. The, the right. worlds of anthropology and history are really small. Uh, lots of people, I'm not saying we know everyone, but we know we, we, we know people who've known people who've known people who've worked together. Museum world is really small. Uh, the the uh, the native museum world is even smaller. Mm. Um, so when opportunities are presented to yourself, so when I like I said we talked about I worked at the Field Museum, worked at the, uh, the Smithsonian, um, you have to make those things happen for you if, if that's mm. what you truly want to do. I think that's true of lots of things, but right. um, I went out there via internship opportunities. And so I say for the students out there listening, uh, particularly for these fields, internship opportunities are very important. And that can let you know if, that, if, this, is the, if this is the type of work that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, after I had, had participated in internships while I was at the Smithsonian, I worked with interns who had, in, had oh, an yeah. interest in the field. Uh, and there were some who ultimately decided it wasn't what they thought it was. It wasn't what they, were, they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I, my message to them was don't feel bad about that you this is this is this is this is this is great this right. is great i know you feel bad about it but this is great you learned this is was not what you thought it was mm-hmm. but it's all but it's also a uh, success at the same time uh bc is a pretty uh unique environment so the takeaway is maybe working in dc is not for oh, yeah. you it can be a pretty imposing sort of environment particularly mm. if you're 18, 19, 19, 20 years old, and have not used are are not used to that. Right. Uh, are not used to that type of that that type of environment. Um, so again, I mean, I stress, you know, that uh, uh, take advantage of those opportunities that are presented to you. Sometimes they do sort of land in your in your lap, and you have to know, you know, how to to recognize those. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you have to go out and sort of create those opportunities and, and pursue those opportunities uh, yourself. That's very important. You'll meet a lot of people along the way. I did. I had some very great mentors mm-hmm. uh, along the way who sort of who helped me helped me through these processes. I never for, I never forgot that. So if, if the opportunity for me, I mean, I always want to. I say that, but I always want to be able to have the opportunity to either pay it forward or pay it back. Yeah. And so um, you know, with that, I mean, to the students or those who want to uh, perhaps go into these fields, internships and and uh, but you have to make the and a lot of times you have to make those opportunities happen for your happen, right. happen for you. Yeah, good advice. So to end our hour, we owe some thank yous. Thank you, Mr. Beaver, for joining us this morning. We had a really great discussion. Um, Thank you to Dr. Wilson for making this possible, as well as Pebble Hill. We really appreciate you and your support. Thank you to the History Department and Dr. Scholes for their continued support in addition to the College of Liberal Arts. Thank you to our researcher, Colby, who helps us prepare questions every week. And thank you to Weagle for letting us use their airtime and their continued support. And lastly, thank you, dear listener, because without you, we wouldn't be here. With that, thank you, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It's All History to Me, the show dedicated to exploring the people, places, and ideas of our past. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 8 a.m. for more. But for now, keep it here on Weagle 91.1. See you next time.